Good morning. Is this on? Okay. It's a new, it's a new gizmo. So I want to make sure everybody can hear. Um, I want to welcome to you, welcome everyone to our Sunday morning class. I would really like to start this morning with a prayer. I understand our brother Larry Smith passed away this week. We're so sad to hear about that. So let's bow this morning as we start. Our most gracious God and Father, we're so thankful to be your children. We're so thankful to be here today to worship you and sing songs of praises to you and to remember your son and his life. We're especially mindful this morning of our brother Larry Smith's passing. We are so thankful for his example for all of us for so many years, his uh, good Christian life and his eldership here. We're so thankful for all of that. We're so sad to hear of of heaven leaving us, but we know he's in a good place with you, and we so look forward to being there with friends and family um, in the future as we uh, have a home in heaven with you. So bless us this morning as we go through this lesson. Um, all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Ah, uh, you may have noticed something unusual here this morning. This board, and I have put some symbols on here, and we probably can't figure this out exactly what they are by looking at them. Fish eggs, maybe? Flowers? I don't know. Uh, Last week we talked about uh, Jesus and the land, and today we're going to talk about, again, uh, some of the differences in culture, and this is an example here that I want to use this prop to talk about that a little bit. And uh, first of all, this side is us, U.S., maybe U.S.A. This is a family. These are all families. In a family like this, we're all individuals. We're very close to each other, but we all are individuals. We have our own plans, our own desires. We uh, are interdirected. So we direct uh, things for ourselves. We may choose a profession. We may choose a spouse, but we are very close as a family. We are told that we need to reach and achieve. We decide, like I said, our education, maybe our career. We choose who we marry. We achieve achieve goals and we are admired by our parents and friends. If we don't, if we fail, we have guilt. If we don't, we are proud, or our parents have pride in us. But individualism in our culture is highly regarded. Socioeconomically, We may have 
grown up in a blue-collar family. And if we stay at that level, that's great. But we have desires to improve. We may want to be a doctor or lawyer or a business person. Our parents would be proud if we sought those professions. We're expected to climb to improve our lives as individuals. Over here, it's the biblical world. The smallest denomination was not individuals, but the family. You were part of a family. Individuals are interconnected to each other, much stronger than maybe our society. We are inner-directed. They are outer-directed. meaning other people's opinions affect their attitudes and behaviors. In America, it's do your own thing, and who cares? But back in biblical times, family, extended family, village, country, were very important. They want interpersonal relationships to work. They're not goal-oriented. Marriage is chosen based on family relationships. If they live the way they're supposed to, they will have honor and bring honor to their family. If they do not, if they fail to do that, they have shame. Driving force for us is guilt. For them, it is shame. I think we have a hard time understanding honor and shame. We don't think about that. Socioeconomically, they start out at a certain level. Jesus was a tecton, a carpenter, a builder. You are expected to stay on that level. You do not climb to other levels. That would be trying to be something you're not. Like I said, Jesus was a tecton, a builder, construction worker. That's how he started out to be. But what was he later in life? He never continued that profession. What did the people think he was? What's that? A rabbi. The scriptures on the board here says 
what everyone thought of him. Matthew 26, 25. G- Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. What do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher. Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, Rabbi, he said. Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Like I said, people that try to achieve higher social levels are looked at as trying to be something they're not. And this is where Jesus gets in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Talk about that more in a minute. Honor defined a person's claim to a certain standing plus public validation of that. I might claim to have a certain role standing, but it must be publicly validated to be worth anything. My claim and public validation. So there's two kinds of honor. Uh, Ascribed honor, inherited honor, honor that comes from your ancestors. Your lineage is very important in, in the biblical world. If you could trace your lineage back to Isaiah, that would give you a certain level of honor. As you recall in the first part of Matthew, traces Jesus' lineage back to David. Gives Jesus and his family a certain level of honor, a status. The second type is achieved honor. Everyone is in constant struggle in this society to keep the level of honor they have. If you defend your honor, you have achieved honor. If not, then you have lost honor and have been shamed. An example, honor begins on the inside, my claim in what I say, and then validated on the outside by other people. Shame starts on the outside when somebody denies my claim. And if I'm not able to defend my claim, then it moves to the inside into my person. I realize I wasn't honored and therefore I was shamed. The American side is over here, how do we win? We compare our stuff. If I can get more things than you, if I can go on better vacations than you, if I can send my children to a better school than you, then I am better than you. He with the most toys wins. That's our attitude. But that's not how it works in the biblical world. They believe there is a limited amount of goods, and so there is not enough to compare. That's not a good standard. Because of their interconnectedness, the way they get bragging rights in a matter is if I can get honor ascribed to me from you. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes, how that happens. In the biblical world, women are the repository of honor. When a person marries to a certain woman, she will be connected to a certain family. 
She will connect him to a network, so honor is derived from this marriage between the two families. It is important for him to marry the right person and the right family. She also must produce him a child. Or what? He's dishonored. He is shamed in the community. Who do we know in the biblical world that had a hard time having children? Everybody. Uh, Rebecca, Genesis 3.1. When Rebecca saw that she was not bearing children Jacob, uh, to Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. She said, give me children or I'll die. Elizabeth, Luke 1.7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. A man is also vulnerable, vulnerable because he can be attached through another man, attacked through another man by someone taking advantage of his wife, and therefore de- be dishonored in, in the community. So a lot of man's honor is centered around his spouse, his wife. Proverbs talks about this: a woman of noble character. Proverbs eleven sixteen. A gracious woman attains honor, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Proverbs 31.25 Strength and honor are her clothing, and she can laugh at the days to come. So the role in America and the role of, sh- the role of guilt in America and the role of shame in the Mediterranean world is just to get people to act in a certain way. Now, if we look at the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is a short poetic saying that expresses what is acceptable, honorable attitude and behavior. So the book of Proverbs, if you read that book, is a guide to life in that culture that shows them how to live honorably. Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your Labor. Three sixteen. Long life are in in her in her right hand, and in her left hand are with, are riches and honor. Proverbs three thirty five. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. Proverbs four eight. Prize her, and she will exalt you. If you are embraced her, she will honor you. Like snow in the summer and rain in the harvest, honor does not benefit a fool. The rewards of humility and the fear of the Lord are wealth and honor. So people who live according to the socially accepted norms are honored. And those people that say what other people say doesn't matter are going to be shamed If you, pursue, if you pursue wisdom, as Solomon says, this collection of cultural insights, and you will live by those, you will be honored in the community. It's not important to us in America. We say, do our own thing. But in the Mediterranean world of the Bible, it was very important that other people thought, and society brought pressure on you to conform. So Solomon says to his son, get wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Wisdom tells you how you should live, so you should be valued in the community. Other biblical words for honor. 
glory, respect, blameless, beyond reproach. Other words for shame, disobedient, disrespected, scorned, speaking against. Humility, what is humility? Three different words describing humility, accepting and living in your status. In the biblical culture, you might be way down there as a beggar. Your family were a beggar family. But you were expected to live at that level. It's honorable to be a beggar if you were born into a beggar's family. We can't see that in our society. What is dishonorable is try to be and live above a level that you were born into, trying to be something you are not. In that culture, you stay at the level you were born into, and humility is accepting that. And not to lord it over other people at your level. If you're born on a certain level, and someone else, and you tried to lord it over someone else on your same level, that is not humility. Humility is accepting my level and responding to my peers as they're equal, not to pretend something that I'm not. So Solomon says to his son, if you accept where you are in relationship to these people, then you are honored. You will be honored. But if you try to lord it over and act better, than, than you are, you will not get honor or validation in the community. Again, back in Proverbs, Proverbs 18.2, Before a downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. A man's pride brings him low, but a but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. So this is huge in the Mediterranean world, in that culture. In that culture, they're called agonistic or combative, and they're constantly trying to steal honor from someone else. Three ways this is seen in Jesus' life. Questions and confrontations, name calling, and Mercurios, or who is honored. So we see a lot of questions and confrontations with Jesus and the Jewish leaders in the Bible. When we think of this, we might think of, well, maybe they're innocently asking for information. But in the Mediterranean world, those questions are seldom neutral. Most questions have some kind of honor-shame issue surrounding them, which can be positive or negative. The Jewish leaders are always asking Jesus questions in a public setting. Why? That is where honor and shame is determined by others, people's opinion. 
they know Jesus is a tecton. He's a carpenter. He's a construction worker. And he's trying to be a rabbi or a teacher. And that's not who he is. Therefore, he is a fraud. So the Pharisees are going to put him in his place by asking him hard questions. When he fails to answer, they will be honored and Jesus will be dishonored or shamed. And he will fail because he has no education. He's a construction worker. And he doesn't have the learning that they have. So when Jesus fails to answer, his honor will be diminished in the eyes of the people. And the leader's honor will be increased. When, they see, when, they, when, they peep, when the people see that Jewish leaders are superior to Jesus. So this is how it works. So I am up in my honor and you are down in your honor. If we are in a public setting and I can put you on the spot, then I can take your honor from you in a way and the same, that's the way the game is played. And we can see this played out in Jesus' life throughout the New Testament. A few examples. Matthew twenty-two fifteen. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodian's teacher. They said, We know that you are a man of integrity and you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. You, are, you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? This is a great question. Why? The Jews hated to pay taxes. And the Romans were in control of the country. But the Romans had laws that you had to pay taxes. So Jesus is stuck, right? If he says, don't pay taxes, the people are happy with him. If he says, don't pay taxes, the Romans are mad at him. If he says, do pay taxes, the people hate him. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used to pay tax. They brought him a denarii, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God's what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Jesus' honors up, Jewish leaders down. John 8, 3. The teachers of the law and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in others in order to have a basis to accuse him. First of all, this is complete setup, right? How do you find a woman caught in adultery? They had this whole thing set up so that they could ask this particular question and trap Jesus in front of everyone. And it was a trap, right? Because what? 
Jewish law, Old Testament law, said she should be stoned. But the Romans, who were in control of the country, disallowed the Jews from carrying out capital punishment. So, stone her against Rome, not stone her against God's word, and all the people were listening. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin first to be a throne, uh, first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote in the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left. The woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sure, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. Next example, Matthew twenty-one twenty-three. Tell us, the Jewish leader said, what authority are you doing these things, they said, and who gave you this authority? Do you think they really didn't know or didn't care? They were trying to embarrass him, right? They knew he was not a rabbi. He was a construction worker. How did Jesus teach? How did he speak? Good example of this is Matthew 5. 521. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. 527. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus said, I tell you. Again, you have heard that it was said, to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulf- but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you. Now we know Jesus wasn't a rabbi. How does someone become a rabbi? Well, this starts way back in grade school. Um, a young man would go to school, which was taught by a rabbi. And at a very young age, he might decide to try to make that his life's work. He would go to the rabbi and ask him if he could be his disciple. And most of the time, this was rejected. rejected. But if the rabbi thought well of him, he would say, yes, you can be my disciple. And the young man would follow him and learn from the rabbi and study the scriptures And after many, many years, after following him and intense study and listening to the rabbi speak, the young man would be finished. And the rabbi would tell him, you have finished your work. He would lay his hands on him, ordain the young man, and send him off on his way as a young rabbi. Key feature of this is when the young man would answer any questions as a rabbi, and make any pronouncements, he would always quote his teacher. For example, 
Rabbi Kenina said in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, who said in the na- name of Rabbi Hillel, thus and so, this is my pronouncement. I quoted my former teachers. They would speak in their teacher's name. That was their authority. We just dread, how did Jesus speak? He didn't quote any teachers. He didn't quote his authority. Jesus spoke. He didn't reference any rabbi. That's why they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? He said, but I tell you. Bob is going to speak this morning. He'll be up here pretty soon. Hopefully, he'll quote some scriptures. That's his authority. I doubt that he's going to go up and tell you, I tell you what to do. No, he's going to reference the Bible. He's going to reference the authority. Jesus didn't reference the authority. That's why the Jews ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Jesus did reply, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Why did you not believe him? But if, I, but if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us. The people were listening. All the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus' honor goes up. Jewish leaders goes down. One of their final questions is in Matthew 22. While the Pharisees were gathering together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. Then he said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? After that, no one, at, no one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. His honor way up, their honor way down. So what was the result? Jesus was honored. Jewish leaders shamed again. All these questions, all these attacks during the life of Christ have a purpose. What? To humiliate him. To shame him. To take honor away from him so that the people won't respect him. So the people won't follow him. When none of the questions work, what do they do? They execute him. And how did they execute him? The Jews crucified Jesus on a Roman cross, the most humiliating, humiliating death the Romans had. It was humiliating because it was done in the nude or almost in the nude, which further humiliated the person. If you look back at Jesus' trial and the abuse he took, it was done to shame him so that the people wouldn't honor him, so the people wouldn't follow him. Philippians 2 says, He humbled himself, taking on a shameful death for us. 
you remember how John the Baptist died? Herodias wanted to humiliate John the Baptist, so she had his head cut off. The rabbis say there are four forms of humiliating death, and beheading is the worst. You you may remember that a young boy named David in the Old Testament killed a man called Goliath. Now, he killed him with a stone, but what did he do afterwards? He cut off his head to humiliate him. So you take the head off and parade it around and disgrace someone. Now, this hasn't happened recently, but a few years ago it had. Some Islamic terrorists have captured Western citizens, held them for ransom. Why do you think the terrorists were cutting off people's heads to try to humiliate the U.S., to try to shame the U.S. in the eyes of the people, their people? A second way is name-calling. Now, we do this some today. He's a liberal. He's a traditionalist. You follow so-and-so. And their society, labeling and stereotyping was very important, and, and uh, we don't think of it much in our day, but it it's, uh, was, was a common and pra- uh, practice back then. This can be positive. In the Gospels, people call Jesus the Son of David. They call Jesus the Lamb of God which is a messianic title. They are ascribing honor to him, calling him that title. But many, uh, many were negative. Blasphemer, Beelzebub, glutton, drunkard. What names did Jesus use? He used these as well, right? Jesus called the Pharisees white sepulchers blind guides, hypocrites, brood of vipers. Why did he do this? Put shame on the Jewish leaders. Third way is makarios, Greek word for blessed. Here Jesus calls people blessed, honored, how they live. Matthew 5 talks about this, of course. We're very familiar with that. Blessed. Blessed is not a good... Uh, translation because blessing is a very standard thing. Uh, a couple things to remember about a blessing: you can only it can only be done by certain people. Another thing: a blessing is a word of power. Once spoken, it is going to come to pass. Remember the Jacob and Esau story. After Esau saw that Isaac had given the blessing to Jacob, Esau said to Isaac's dad, "Hey, King Zex that, and say a blessing for me too." No. There wasn't a second blessing for him, right? Only once it was given, it could not be taken back. And usually has some ritual involved. The opposite of blessing is a curse, and this is also done in the same way. So how should we understand the words in Matthew 5? Some place it used blessed. Some place it used happy. A better word, understanding what we have talked about today how honorable or how privileged if we read Matthew chapter 5 in these words I think it makes more sense
How honorable are the poor in spirit. How honorable are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This makes, I think, more sense and helps us understand this better. If you live by these values, you are honored. You are respected in the community. The opposite Jesus used from time to time was woe. Woe to you if we could insert the words the same. How shameful that would work in these statements as well. And we can find a contrast. Um, We'll just briefly look at this today between Matthew 5 and Matthew 23. And I'll just read these. Matthew 5, 6. How honorable are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Matthew 23, 23. How shameful for those of you who outwardly appear righteous. Matthew 5, 7. How honorable are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Matthew 23. How shameful for you who neglect mercy. Matthew 5. How honorable are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 23. How shameful for those who are impure. Matthew 5, 9, how honorable are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Matthew 23, 15, how shameful you who, li- who live that way, you are sons of hell. So if we look at this, if you have time to look at this sometime, look at chapter 5 and compare that to chapter 23 in Matthew. He's talking about the honorable way to do things and the shameful way to do things. Another example, we know we all know the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9. Jesus says to pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, honored, is your name. Jesus also said later, If you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. Just as we're reading through the Gospels, you now see how often Jesus talks about honor and shame. Paul talks about this. This is for us as believers. Romans 9.33, Paul says that believers will never be put to shame. 1 Corinthians 11, the veil, she honors her head or he honors her head or dishonors his head. It talks about when people do certain things, they disgrace themselves or honor themselves. 1 Thessalonians 3.13, live so that you will be blameless when Jesus comes. What does blameless mean? Honorable. An elder is to be blameless. Even outside the church, he is to be respected and honored by outsiders. So this lesson today, all through the Bible, cover to cover, honor and shame is a big issue. And like I said, today that doesn't mean much to us. But 50 years ago or more in our country, it did. So when we read through the Bible now, hopefully you will notice how honor and shame play such a big role in that society. What did John say when he saw Jesus when he came to be baptized? Behold the Lamb of God. And a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son. Public validation from God honoring Jesus. Thank you for your attention.
that's our lesson on honor and shame today. Hopefully you guys uh, realize more how honor and shame play in the society in that day and what some of these lessons mean and confrontations mean between Jesus and the Pharisees and how has that played out. Thank you.